Welcome to the Innovation Roundtable Insights Podcast. This episode was recorded at an Innovation Roundtable workshop hosted by Bosch in Stuttgart in February 2019, where our colleague Leonard sat down with Henrik Esser, Manager of Special Projects at Ericsson, to discuss agile transformation in large organizations. During the conversation, Henrik talks about the role of leaders in agile firms and further specifies how to organize and lead an agile team. Additionally, he discusses how to evaluate team performance and how to manage the impact that failed experiments have on an organization. Hendrik, thank you very much for your presentation and uh, thank you for joining me here for that, uh, for that interview. Maybe we can start the interview by you just briefly explaining who you are, what company you work for and uh, what role you have currently. Mm -hmm. Okay, glad to do that. And I'm happy that you like the presentation. <laughs> Um, I'm Hendrik Esser. I work for a large telecommunication company called Ericsson with more than 140 years of existence. So it's a big, big thing and uh, a very successful company as well. And um, in that company, I'm nowadays a manager of special projects, which is a bit of a sort of in-house consultant, organizational coach and so on. So I'm dealing a lot with transformation um, endeavors uh, in the company. So that's my main role at the moment. Maybe you can start to give us an overview how kind of that, especially the, the Agile uh, project or the Agile transformation you've been talking about, mm. how that plugs into kind of the larger innovation principles or innovation framework at Ericsson. Mm. That's a very interesting question, actually, because when we started the Agile transformation, we didn't think so much about innovation. Uh, Ericsson has been a very innovative company for yeah, forever almost, and uh, we didn't think so much about it. So for us, agility was more like, how do we fix our operational problems? Now, going through the uh, agile journey, we discovered a side effect of agility, and that is anything that's not on an agile backlog is not happening. And if innovation is not on your backlog, innovation goes down. And I shared that uh, problem with some people from other companies that I, I'm collaborating with, and they all had the same kind of, of insight. So actually all the companies who did an agile transformation are bringing innovation now back on the agenda uh, in, in a bit of a different way. So uh, for example, by making incubation projects, hackathons, learnathons, um, by, uh, in Ericsson we have an own organization structure that takes care of the whole thing. And um, inside these innovation uh, uh, organizations, um, and everybody can go there if they have an idea, uh, we, of course, use Agile and Lean and Lean Startup kind of thinking, design thinking um, to get going with these kind of things. Let me ask you about question. I mean, it was a 2,000 people organization or part of an organization, uh, more or less. Ericsson is a lot larger. How did you manage kind of the interface between that uh, part of the organization mm -hmm in a transformation and then also being transformed and other parts that are not mm -hmm. transformed in a way or have a different mindset. How mm -hmm. do you manage this, the interfaces where that, that organization yeah. connects into the larger one? So for us, it started with a 2,000 people sub-organization, which was part of a, a 11,000 or 12,000 people organization and part of, a, at that time, 120,000 people enterprise. So, yeah, you still think 2,000 is, is a huge number, but it's a tiny little thing compared to the whole. And you're absolutely right. How, does, how do you work with the larger ecosystem around it? So one thing was that um, 
we first of all needed to have the approval from the leader uh, on the next level and we did that. We uh, explained our ideas about the agile transformation with that person and he was absolutely supportive with the thing and for, with that one you already have a little bit of a backup uh, when you're going. And then uh, moving further, of course, there's always this a bit friction between organizational systematic things like global HR and global financial and, and global whatever uh, policies um, that don't yet that, that don't fit anymore that perfectly to your agile environment. And then uh, that is maybe a role that we found that uh, the leaders get in an agile transformation that you're a bit like the absorption layer between these corporate uh, um, regulations and the agile setup. So leaders are starting to protect the agile setup a little bit and tr are able to translate agility, the agile setup to the outside world, which sometimes can be painful, but um, yeah, you, you, we actually succeeded pretty well with that one. You don't get through with everything. Some initiatives are getting stopped, but that doesn't stop you from abandoning the whole agile. Uh, you just think, okay, let's let this grow. And after a couple of years, maybe you can take the next step. And that's actually another thing that happened over the journey in the journey. Things that were not possible because the larger ecosystem in the company didn't support it at that time are becoming possible nowadays because the agile mindset has been spread over the company slowly. It's very infectious. And um, <laughs> now we can do things we couldn't even dream about uh, 10 years ago. You talked about the, the leaders and, and I would like to put leadership right into the discussion when it comes to mm. agile. The first question about it is you, you had the luxury of, of, of picking and choosing some new or hiring some new uh, people into the organization. What did you look for mm. uh, is, my, is the first question. The second is more generally what is important about leadership when, when working with agile teams? Mm. So when we look at what kind of leaders we were looking for right at the moment of transformation, we wanted to have more leaders who can empower people, who, have, who, who dare to let go of their formal control, from their formal power. They still, because of the line organization, they still have the formal power. This hasn't changed because that would be a total change in the company. But they don't make use of the formal power. They let people decide. They can watch people doing their own mistakes and they only jump in when people have learned something and not before. Yeah, that was the kind of character we were looking for. So creating a safe environment for people to try out themselves, take their own decisions, potentially fail, but then support them in the learning that is associated with the failure. So that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin, you still need to deliver products. Yeah? So these managers at the same time, these leaders need to have a strong operational understanding and that is a mix that is especially in the beginning a bit hard to find but we were lucky we were found, finding enough of these kind of people to pursue the agile transformation in a very positive way and i guess this is also more generally part of what is important in terms of leadership when it comes to managing agile teams and overseeing and helping them yes i mean i always say and that was also important part of my talk um Leaders become the, I always call it, system shepherds. Instead of having your fingers in every little, little, little small detail um, of your operations, you let go, you manage a certain level on your organization and of your operations, but you don't go into all the details. The details are done with the teams. And um, by that, you get the overview. And at the same time, uh, the, the second thing that you have space then for just on your, your calendar is 
being the system shepherd, meaning looking at what emerges out of the organization, what behaviors do we see, what patterns are starting to emerge, uh, these patterns that emerge helpful or not helpful for the company to succeed, and then the question, what do we do about them? So you're the system shepherd in the sense that you observe the patterns and you take uh, interventive actions when you see the need for it. Let me probe a bit more into this, uh, into the profiles you mm. have found, or, or also the leaders you have worked with. How difficult is it, in you know, seen across the, the people you've worked with and you've tried to influence or to convince in some way mm. and get a buy-in? How difficult is it to change people rather than find? And then on the other hand, how mm. easy was it to find new ones that then exactly have the right qualities that are more scarce? You yeah, yeah. I mean, finding new people is always the easier path, um, but that means you need to get rid of some of the old people, and that's a very tedious process. Then um, the problem is always when you are in the convincing game. If if you need to convince someone against someone's nature you could say, or mm. current worldview, you could say. So that is more like you don't change them by confronting them with, no, no, it's totally wrong what you are saying and you are, you are so wrong in your worldview. That's not how you do it. You need to coach people along. So it's a bit like when I say from tomorrow onwards, your value is, uh, is that you like blue. No, you will say, yeah, great. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and then you pretend you, you like blue, but you aren't. No? So mm. that is the kind of thing that might happen. But, so I know that this phenomenon could happen, but um, how do I change this now? I can show you a lot of very beautiful blue things. Uh, blue things. And um, after some time, you might think, actually, this blue is not too bad. I start liking it. And that's the role of the leaders and the role of the coaches to shift the perspective and to help people to see the beauty um, of, of a different approach. How long, last question around this, it's mm. interesting. How long have you persevered in, in believing that a, a, a current leader would move towards the a more um, mm. you know behavior that is more oh. in line with agile. <sighs> okay, first of all, never give up <laughs> until you give up. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, some get it, and but there are a few leaders who do not get it, or who don't want, or to whatever reason, and that's a very personal thing, and. Um, Yeah, there is not like wait for six months or for one year. Uh, for some, you can see people are getting on a journey and it takes them two years and they are there. And for some, you, you, you try it for half a year or a year and you see this is getting nowhere. And then, of course, there comes the moment where also such people feel uncomfortable in an agile mm -hmm. setup. And often this leads to conversations where we discuss mutually, none of us feels now good in this setup, in this constellation. Maybe you, I will support you in finding something where you, with your attitude and where you just fit in in a better way. Mm. And usually you find in all companies, uh, you find these pockets because Agile is not like the setup that is suitable for just everything. Yeah? So um, there might be people who, who want a more waterfallish, more controlled environment. Usually you find these pockets in the company where that is possible to live that way. Now I'm zooming out of that again, uh, asking more about agile and, you know, local versus standardization, like mm. local pockets. I mean, even 2000 is always relative, can be small seen from the large uh, organization, can mm. be large seen from a different perspective. 
and you might have local pockets of agile being applied in a bit different way. Yeah. How much freedom did you leave and how much standardization did you, did you have to require to make yeah. it work? The thing is, you need to really give this to the organization and you need to see what happens. So we started with a very standardized approach because if you have no clue how agility works, you need to do this to the book. Um, so um, I always compare this. I don't know whether you know this Shuhari model. Uh, Shu being the face when you're just the student, you have no bloody clue about the thing and you need a master, an agile master in that case around you who instructs you this is exactly how you do it and then you might re reach the half phase where you are starting to make suggestions to your master but master wouldn't it be possible or more clever to do like this and then your master knowing what agile really is about will tell you yes you really start getting it you can modify your approach like this or no 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 you haven't got it you have to stick to your routine and then you might reach master level at some point in time where you don't need the process, you are the process, your mindset is fully there. Mm -hmm. And um, in that sense, we started very much with a, with a shoe face, instructing people, making really scrum according to the book and so on. But then over the years, we are retrospectives, team learn new things, they adopt the thing and we leave total freedom to them uh, to do it the way they think it's best. How are teams... Uh, put together and how do they evolve uh, in the different stages? Mm -hmm. We had very different approaches to putting teams together. The core thing is really the teams are in the, in the center of everything because they create the customer value. So we need to empower them to do that. And one way to empower them is to build cross-functional teams that are, have the diversity to cover all aspects of product creation. So um, that is a, a thing that we paid a lot of attention to. Um, and that worked out extremely well, I must say. Um, Cross-functional teams are an essentially good thing uh, to do when you, when you go for an Agile setup. Because you avoid all these handovers, people with, uh, who have knowledge uh, and expertise in different disciplines talking to each other, people start growing. Yeah? You see different perspectives, you uh, acquire new skills, and over uh, some uh, period of time, one to two years, people can do much, much more of an end-to-end -end product development. Now, let me ask you about kind of the, um, the, how do you evaluate team performance, individual performance? Did you change any, maybe also, contract arrangements or generally work environment how has that how mm. was that changed in line with changing the mindset and the, and the culture yeah so when it comes to feedback sessions we have made experiments about team feedback sessions and um, but that was never put into a policy because we are a bit we were a bit scared what is happening is this a controllable environment uh, when we know what about mobbing and, and phenomena like this. Mm. So we never made it a policy that you have to have team feedback sessions. Um, nevertheless, some of our teams wanted it themselves. They were pulling for it. And we said, if you want to do it, do it. Um, nevertheless, in parallel to that, we have our policies. So we have our um, uh, frequent follow-up meetings with your manager where you get feedback and um, those uh, routines have, of course, changed over the years when we more and more adopted an agile mindset. Uh, so from uh, we had periods where we had a, a sort of stack rankings and evaluations and, and stuff like this. And nowadays we have much more 
instead of output focus and outcome focus, so what is the result, what is the effect that your work have um, on your environment, on the customer and, and so on. And these movements, um, they really create different results. You mentioned it earlier, Agile doesn't work everywhere and in mm. every industry. Every, What is your experience? Where Where is Agile working well and those highly iterative methods? You also mm. mentioning lean startup and design thinking. Where do they work well and where do, don't they work that well? Well, they work They work actually almost everywhere. The thing is, where are they effective and where are they not effective? And uh, they are very effective when it comes to uh, uncertain environments, environments where you cannot plan uh, very well, uh, where you have to learn your way through uh, your product development. And actually, I would say nowadays, almost all product creation is really a creative process with a lot of uncertainties. You cannot pre-plan things. Otherwise, you end up in the famous analysis paralysis and you don't get anywhere. You get stuck. So a much better way is to just get going, experiment, see is this working as I thought, and then adapt. You know, that's at least for the software industry, for example, is very much working like this. Because when you go a wrong path, changing a piece of software is, is not so difficult. When you're in the building construction, Once a building see the Berlin airport, when you did something wrong, repairing this is a nightmare. So there probably an agile approach is, is not as applicable or you need to do it in a different way uh, than um, when you do it with software. So it works wherever you, you need to have fast feedback loops and, and where you can experiment your way forward, wherever you need to plan or where you can plan very precisely because predictability is there. Where you can plan, you don't need to use an agile way you mentioned quality as kind of in the presentation i remember as non-negotiable uh yeah. and and how do you manage the the fact that you know learning your way through with the customer and kind of delivering not really perfect and uh, finished products during the process mm -hmm. how do you manage that process without damaging ericsson as a brand of delivering Uh, product. This, how, how do you yeah, this is maybe a misconception. Um, uh, just because we work in fast iterations doesn't mean that the products are crappy. Uh, they are just incomplete from a, function, a functional point of view, but the function that is there should, of course, already have a good quality. Uh, so, uh, so it's the, feature, feature by feature, but that feature works, basically. That feature needs to work. Mm. Yeah? And, of course, having a customer on, on board and, and agreeing on, okay, what are the expectations and what is the minimum viable thing we want to do um, to have confidence in this one, that's, of course, another side of the coin uh, that uh, you have a clear agreement on the expectations on the quality or yeah, quality nowadays has a totally different uh, definition. Even there are new ISO standards who are redefining quality and those new ISO standards talk, are talking about usability um, uh, and, and serviceability and maintainability and all these kind of things. So quality is a much, much broader thing and we are striving for having good quality also for the early prototypes. Is there any kind of limit to the extent or to the kind of uh, how big a project can be in running it agile? How many people can be involved? And when does it does a project typically transition from kind of that iterative approach to a more linear conventional one? Or doesn't mm -hmm. that happen at all anymore? We, we generally stopped using the uh, concept of projects at some point in time because Now um, it's like we, are, we can do a product release in very short cycles. 
monthly. In the past, we were doing once a year a product release. Now we do this monthly. Uh, then running a, a project that runs uh, uh, one month, a huge total project that is uh, accom uh, accommodating all the functionality that should be delivered in this one month doesn't make sense. So for us, every little Scrum team uh, is a project of its own. You can see it like this. And then it's more a question of orchestrating all these mini projects along. So we found a good way how to orchestrate uh, these uh, mini projects. Now this is also dissipating the power. The power goes to the Scrum teams who have now the power to decide and run and manage their own projects and their own performance and so on, and not anymore the central project manager who has to watch out for, oh, I think you're doing something wrong over here. The challenge is... What level of reporting do you have in between? It shouldn't be too detailed reporting because the power is with the team. So, for example, in Scrum, you have these burndown charts, for example, team velocity. Who is owning the team velocity? It's the team. It's not the manager above. The team needs to do something about it. Yeah. Only if a team doesn't improve velocity or gets stuck for a long period, then you might start asking, okay, guys, what's going on here? Can we help in some way? Let me ask you another question about this accountability. Yeah. You know, if the team has that freedom and moves, are they taking, are they accountable then? Or is it still the, the leader that is kind of helping them to go around who then has to take, uh, has to take the, the accountability for something that might also go wrong or that yeah. might go well in, in both cases? Yeah. Of course, formally, the accountability is still with the leader because we are a hierarchically uh, organized company, so that accountability is still there. But what we want is to have agile leaders who share that accountability with the teams. So it's, we want to avoid that you end up in a situation where people just lean back and say, oh, you are accountable, I just do my job. No, that's not working. Yeah? Mm. We want to distribute that accountability and get the people, uh, get people to feel that They own the, the accountability for the thing. Though formally, if something really goes wrong, the manager will be contacted. What the hell is going on here? Last question. From your journey uh, and from your role, what is kind of one, one of the most uh, important and interesting learnings you've, you've had? The, 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 yeah, the, the maybe most important thing or that I was not aware of before was this whole phenomenon of emergence. As a leader, you think when you're starting with the whole thing, you come from a waterfall control environment, you, you, you are so much living in the illusion of control and experiencing how that was an illusion and how much better your life is when you embrace that illusion and say, okay, I'm not in control of anything, so... Yeah, let's work from there. And then empowering the teams, seeing what people actually can do for you, um, uh, things that you have never imagined before, just seeing that happening, that was a very strong learning. And it encouraged me a lot to even be more brave in, or more daring in, in uh, letting go even more. So that's a, a key thing uh, in my own personal journey in this whole thing. Hendrik, thank you very, very much for the presentation once again and thank you for that interesting and pleasant conversation. Thank you. The video version of this podcast can be accessed via innovationroundtable.online. The Innovation Roundtable online network is your portal to a wide variety of exclusive content, including video presentations, interviews, insights reports, and articles. Not only that, innovationroundtable.online is also a place where you can connect with other corporate innovators, 
share experiences, request collaborations, and gain inspiration from your peers. Our network is exclusively for innovation practitioners in large firms. So visit innovationroundtable.online to discover more and request your seven-day free trial account.